you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Registration for Ladies Conference opened up at 9 o'clock this morning. And I don't have an exact number, but I know that they have already had a tremendous response of those that are registering. So if you intend to go to Ladies Conference, you need to get online today and you need to register. And if you're planning on going and staying, you need to see Sister Tracy Kuntzman after church. Um, about the room block that we have down on the south side of Indianapolis. I know that it is going to be an amazing time, and you don't want to miss it. We're going to be going April the 13th, which is a Thursday night. This is something a little different for us. We're making a CLC night on the 13th, and then ladies' conference on the 14th and the 15th. Incredible lineup of speakers, Sister Mitchell from... Florida. Uh, we have Shara McKee from Louisiana, Texas. Texas. I don't know where Louisiana came from. And then Ginger Labatt, of course. We are all very familiar with Sister Labatt from Addison, Illinois. So I know you're going to want to go. Don't miss Ladies Conference. Be sure to get signed up. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Brother David, if I could get some more monitor, this at least this mic and the monitor, that would help me. It's been a busy week around CLC. This week on Monday began the Family Altar Project. And I did not realize until I had taken my family altar over to the other building, and I was looking over it, and I happened to turn it upside down and saw where my husband had Um, written on the bottom of it, and it was seven years ago this past Sunday that CLC did um, our very first altar project. And I don't remember how many families that we had participating the last time, but this year I am excited to say that we have 30 families participating in the family altar project. I love it. I I was looking over our list and happened to see that we have some 
families that have young children that are building family altars. We have grandparents that are building family altars. We even have families that don't have children yet, but in the name of Jesus, they will at some point, that are building family altars. I'm thankful for families that see the significance of building altars and committing to keep God at the very center of their homes. You know, the Family Altar Project is more than just an art project, and it's more than just a family activity. But there is great significance in building a family altar. God insists on the presence of an altar in the lives of his children. This week I have been praying and I've been fasting. Of course, we're in the middle of our uh, 40 days of uh, prayer and consecration. But this week I have been fasting for the message that I am going to be bringing to you tonight. And the title of that message is Building Family Altars. So before I get started, I'm not going to ask you to stand, but would you just extend your hand? Would you ask the Lord to be here to help me to deliver the word that he gave me? God, we worship you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. God, I thank you, Lord. I know that you've spoken to me, God. I pray, Lord, that your anointing would rest in this place. God, that your word would have its intended purpose in our lives. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to receive from you tonight. And we're going to thank you in advance for what you're going to accomplish. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. If you'll allow me a little bit of liberty tonight. I want to build a foundation for you on the importance of building a family altar. Deuteronomy chapter 6 can be summarized like this. Fear the Lord thy God. Keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might, and thou shalt teach them these things diligently to your children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Adam understood the importance of teaching your children the ways of the Lord. While scripture indicates that Adam and his sons offered sacrifices unto the Lord, the first altar that is recorded in the Bible happened nine generations after Adam when Noah built an altar after the flood. The altar that Noah built was an altar of thanksgiving because the Lord had spared Noah and his family. Nine generations after Noah, we find where Abraham constructed altars to God. The Bible records five significant altars in Abraham's life. In Genesis 12 and 7, 
we find where God made a covenant with Abram. And in response to the promises of God, Abraham built an altar of worship in Shechem, which means God is my portion. It's no wonder that 14 generations after Abraham, David wrote over and again in the Psalms that the Lord was his portion because something got passed down through the generations. Abram's second altar was built just one verse later in Genesis 12 and 8, but the location had changed from Shechem. The second altar was built in Bethel, which was an altar in the house of God. I again find it no coincidence that Abraham's grandson, Jacob, had an encounter with God at the very location where his grandfather had built an altar. The third significant altar in Abram's life was back at the very same place that he had built the altar in Bethel. The Bible says that he returned to the altar in Bethel with his family and his wife and wealth that he had gained in Egypt. The return of the altar in Bethel is indicative of an altar of repentance. How many of you know that we need an altar of repentance daily in our lives? Abram built a fourth altar in the plains of Mamre. This is the spot where his name had been changed from Abram to Abraham. And it was also the location where he was promised his son, Isaac. The altar at Mamre was an altar of promise and an altar of supernatural change. The fifth altar in Abraham's life was an altar of sacrifice. But there was a difference in this altar because this altar was not just Abraham's altar but it was also his son's altar. The scripture said that Isaac went along with his father. I'm sure that Isaac had seen Abraham many times at an altar. And it is probable that, uh, that Isaac might have been alongside of Abraham at multiple altars. But this altar was different because this altar was also Isaac's altar. Abraham, the Bible says, laid the wood for the altar on Isaac's shoulders. Isaac questioned about where the sacrifice was. But Abraham spoke words of faith to his son about a God who keeps his covenant and keeps his promise. And Abraham said this, we are going to build an altar and the Lord will provide himself. A sacrifice. Through Abraham's instruction, God proved himself to Isaac at an altar of sacrifice. And I've come tonight to tell you that when you lay your life down and the lives of your family on an altar of sacrifice, God will prove himself to you in your life and in the life of your family. You see, 
God had confidence in Abraham. He had confidence in Abraham's ability to build an altar. Abraham built altars of worship. He built an altar at the house of God. He built altars of repentance and altars of supernatural encounters and altars of sacrifices. But God also had confidence in Abraham that the building of an altar would not stop with Abraham's generation. Genesis 18 and 19 says that God spoke this of Abraham, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him or generations after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. Six generations after Abraham, we find his descendant, Moses. And guess what Moses was doing? Moses was building altars. Moses built an altar and called the name of that altar, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner and my victory because he understood that victory comes through the altar and victory comes through the Lord. We later find where Moses built an altar at, at Mount Sinai. It was an altar of revelation because it was at this altar where God revealed himself to the children of Israel. And the fear of the Lord rested on his people. It wasn't just an altar that Moses built, but Moses also instructed the young men of Israel to sacrifice on that very altar. You see, that altar was a pivotal altar and a pivotal moment at the altar of revelation for God's people. Because it was at that time that God chose to allow his presence to dwell with men. So God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle in the wilderness where his presence would reside. And inside of that altar or inside of that tabernacle, the altar was the central focus. The altar was so important to God that Moses uh, was told to place two separate altars within the tabernacle. He was to place the altar of sacrifice and the altar of incense. You had to go past both in order to enter into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelled. You couldn't have one altar without the other, the altar of sacrifice and the altar of worship. Both sacrifice and worship were required to usher one into the presence of God, the sacrifice of flesh and the sacrifice of worship. And God still is requiring the altar of sacrifice and the altar of worship in our lives today. Throughout generations, altars have had a purpose. They were places of sacrifice. Altars were places of worship. They were places where prayer and intercession were made. Altars are places to seek the face of God and to hear the voice of God speaking to you. Altars are places where sins are forgiven and where grace are, is found. How many of you are glad that you experienced 
the grace of God at an altar one day in your life. Altars are places of commitment and places of consecration. Altars are places where God makes promises and covenants with his people. They are places of change and places of supernatural encounters with God. Altars are not just places of tradition. And they're not just places of ritualistic practices. But they are places where God meets man and where man can commune with God. I have come to you tonight with a word from the Lord that has been burning in my spirit. And I want to help someone tonight. I want you to understand that the state of your altar reflects the state of your relationship with God. And the state of your altar reflects the state of the altar that your children have. Where there is no altar, there is no communion with God. Where there is no altar, there is no forgiveness of sin. Where there is no altar, flesh cannot die. Everyone needs an altar. Every home needs an altar. Every family needs an altar. Someone needs to determine tonight to build an altar for yourself and to build an altar for your family. After the destruction of the second temple and the altars of God, Jewish rabbis metaphorically moved the altar into the homes of the Jewish people. There is a space that is dedicated in every home as an altar to the Lord. The altar is a common place where families gather. Often, the altar is a table where meals are shared. It is said that Jewish families feel so strongly about the altar that if the things of God are not spoken of during a family meal, then the meal that they just ate is the equivalent of eating meat that had been served to idols. The altar is a place where families come together to talk about the things of the Lord. The things of the Lord should be a regular conversation. That conversation be, should be taking place in your home every day. It is a place, the altar is a place where the word of God is taught to your children. It is a place where disagreements are resolved and relationships are mended. It is a place of declaration like, like the generations since Joshua that says that as for me, and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. The altar is to be a sacred place in the home. If our homes are not sacred and sanctified unto the Lord, then we're failing our children. It isn't the child's responsibility only. It is the parent's responsibility first to sanctify their homes. 
and to set their families apart. If our homes and families are not consecrated to God, then we are living outside of the will of God for his body. If our homes don't reverence the things of God, then God simply does not abide there. This is why that I firmly believe that we ought not to allow things in our homes that are contrary to the word of God. If we say that we believe witchcraft is of the devil, then witchcraft ought not to be our entertainment ever. We shouldn't be entertained by that stuff. If we claim to adhere to the commandments of God, then movies that glamorize adultery and fornication and murder and profanities and illicit lifestyles should not be a regular diet in the life of a child of God. And if it is a regular diet, then you have a flesh issue, and your flesh needs to be laid on an altar. Those things should not be a part of a child of God's life. And may I remind you that it is a parent that chooses the diet of a family. And if you partake of it regularly, don't be disappointed when your children do. We set the precedence, parents. We're the ones that choose what we will allow and what we will accept. And your children are going to follow. If we know more lyrics to secular music than we do songs that edify God, there's a problem. I know that this isn't going to be very popular, but I am bringing to you what the Lord told me to bring to you. There are some things that we need to get out of our lives and we need to get out of our homes. The word of God says whatsoever things are true and honest and pure, think on these things, consume these things. Someone needs to declare tonight that as for me and my house, my house will not be defiled. My house will be a house of prayer. My house will have God at the center. We will serve the Lord. And I want you to know that it starts with you. Somebody needs to build an altar in their own life. And somebody needs to lead their family to the altar. Someone needs to commit today that I am going to serve the Lord regardless of what happens, regardless of what society says. I will serve the Lord. Can you praise the Lord right now? Brother David, I am so sorry. I'm going to have to have more monitor. I apologize. My voice is weak, but my spirit is strong. Judaism mandates that parents are to be the primary religious teachers for their children. They are to teach them not only by word, but they are to teach them by example. Kids are going to follow your lead. 
And if you think that they are not picking up on inconsistencies, walk into one of our children's classes and just start talking about a few things and listen to what the kids have to say. They pick up on inconsistencies. They know when you're living right and they know when you're living wrong. Deuteronomy 11 says that parents are to teach their children the things of God in their homes. And as they go about their day and when they go to bed and when they wake up, literally from the time that they wake up in the morning until they lay their heads down at night, teaching their children is a primary focus in their homes. Literally, the things of God become a priority. Everything about our lives should be centered around teaching our children the ways of the Lord. And it's not just about the things that you say, but it's your actions also. You're teaching your children every time you walk into the doors of the church that when there is church, it's, it's a precedence. We're going to go to church. They're watching our every move. I believe that it was this mandate that was why the disciples who were devout men, who had kept the commandments of the Lord from their youth, requested of Jesus, teach us to pray. They had walked with him. They ate with him. They sat at his feet and they heard his teachings. They followed him wherever he went. But they were requesting of Jesus to impart to them the ability to touch heaven with their prayers. Because they understood that touching heaven with your prayers gets results. They watched Jesus pray and fish and bread were multiplied. They saw him pray and deaf ears were opened. They knew that his strength came when he prayed. They watched him pull away every day and pray and then turn around and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out devils. And so the disciples said, teach us to pray. Parents, we need to teach our children how to pray. Teach them that prayers move mountains. Teach them that prayer obtains promises. Teach them that prayer will cause fire to fall from heaven. Teach them that prayer will heal the sick and raise the dead. Teach them that prayer shuts the mouths of lions and silences their enemies. Teach them that prayer causes them to be victorious in every battle. Teach them by example how to build an altar. Teach them the importance of sacrifice at an altar. Teach them that it's at an altar where God encounters happen. Teach them how to lay their lives on an altar. Come on, some parents. Teach them to kneel at an altar and to repent. Teach them by your example to tarry at an altar until an answer comes. Show them, teach them, lead them to an altar. 
could comprehend the true power of prayer, we would pray more. If we truly believed that there was power in prayer, we couldn't get you up off your knees. We would pray more. If we comprehended that uh, there is power and we believed in the power of an altar, we would visit the altar more. If we could grasp the power of a praying family and the radical difference that prayer would make in our homes, we wouldn't miss one opportunity to have our families bow their knees in prayer at an altar. Some parent tonight needs to determine that you are going to lead your family to the altar. When we let everything else take precedence over time spent at a family altar, we are gambling with the souls of our children. Their souls are at stake. There is an enemy that desires the souls of our children. Do you want to know why? Because they don't want another generation to pass forward what it is to go to an altar. And they don't want another generation coming up that knows how to pray. But when we neglect those things, we are gambling with their souls. When we can come up with a plethora of excuses for our lack of a family altar, then we have a crisis. But I would submit to you tonight that there is a thief that is loose in our homes, robbing us of moments at an altar with our family. The enemy fears those who are laying themselves on an altar, and he'll stop at nothing to keep you from placing your family on an altar. But the Lord is about to strengthen somebody tonight. The Lord is about to raise a determined people that says, my house will serve the Lord. My house will pray. My house will spend time at an altar. My house will value the things of the Lord. Do you feel that way tonight? Why don't you let the Lord know? children deserve to be prayer saturated. Our children deserve to be taught to pray. Our children deserve to be taken to an altar. Our children deserve to be led in sacrifice and in consecration. Our children deserve to be shown how to worship. I love the fact that our children and young people are always in the front worshiping. But what I loved even more Sunday night is when I watched parents dancing before the Lord and when I watched parents on their face at an altar. Our children deserve those things. They deserve to see a mom and dad take each other by the hand and come to an altar. They deserve to have parents that wrap their arms around them and says, we don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to go to an altar as a family until we get an answer from the Lord. Our, parent, or our, our children deserve to be taught a love for the things of the Lord. 
It is not a Sunday school teacher's responsibility to do that. It is a parent's responsibility. I didn't always get things right. My husband and I did not always do things right in our home. We made a lot of mistakes. Just ask the boys. They can tell you. But the one thing that I am sure that we did right is we taught them to value the things of God. We taught them to value the house of God. We taught them to value prayer. We taught them to value an altar in in their lives. And I can tell you that at any given point, I could walk into Spencer's home, or I could walk into Dylan's home, or I could walk into the basement or find Gentry here at the church on their faces and an altar before the Lord. We need to teach those things to our children because an altar is going to be what sustains them. And an altar is going to be what keeps them when the enemy comes at them. And an altar is where they're going to find strength when they're fighting hell in their life. And it's at an altar where the Lord is going to call them. And it's at an altar where God is going to change them. And it's at an altar where God is going to turn their lives around. They deserve to be led to an altar. It's our responsibility. We must pick up the mantle of prayer leader in the lives of our children. We must pick up the mantle of a prayer mentor in the lives of our children. Our children shouldn't have to go to somebody else and ask them to mentor them in prayer. They ought to be able to come to us. They ought to be able to go to their parents. They ought to be able to hear you praying in your home. They ought to be able to know that you're fasting throughout the week. You should be the strongest mentor in their lives. We need to pick up the mantle of a prayer warrior over our children. Because I can tell you that nobody is going to pray harder and more fervently for my sons than what I am. Because I birthed them and I gave life to them and I dedicated them on an altar. And parents that love their children is going to saturate their children with prayer. They're going to go to war for their children in prayer. They're going to cover them in prayer. They're going to fight for their children. There may be somebody in here right now that's saying, that sounds really good. My children are grown or my children are far away from the Lord. But that should not stop us from going to God in prayer and praying over them and fighting for them. Our children deserve for us to fight for them when they're too young to fight for themselves. We need to take up the mantle of an altar builder in their lives, leading them, guiding them, explaining to them why it's important, 
why it's important to sacrifice their life on an altar, why it's important to go to an altar of, of repentance. It's our responsibility, and not just for our kids, and not just for ourselves, but also for this church. And for kids that are coming into this church that don't have families that are strong in the Lord, and they don't have families that are praying over them, and they don't have families that are leading them to an altar. Because I can tell you that there are thousands of kids. And if I could get to every one of them, and if I had the resources, I would go pick them up myself, and I would bring them to this church, and I would gather them in the front on the side and say, let me show you how to worship, and let me show you how to pray, and let me show you how to lay your life on an altar. They deserve it. They deserve it. But it's going to take the church. It's going to take every one of us picking up that mantle. Can we stand together? in empty altars and empty pool rooms. And I believe that there's nothing that grieves the Lord anymore than homes that are empty of prayer and that don't have altars in their lives and in their homes for their families. If tonight your heart has been touched and if you've heard the heart in which that I've come to you tonight and you're willing to say, that I'm going to lead my family to an altar and I am going to establish altars in my home and I'm going to establish prayer in my home. Would you signify that to the Lord by just making your way to the front and just making a commitment to God? But as for me, and my house and my children, my future children, we will serve the Lord. Would you lift your hands and make that commitment tonight?
this tonight. If your family is here, I want you to get together with your family. If your family's on the platform, let's, we're at home right now. If your family's on the platform, feel free to join. Kayla, feel free to join. Townsend's want to gather in close up here, the newcomers, the days. Just get with your family. If you don't have family here, I want you to come here. I want you to come here in the center. Annette, if you would come over. If you don't have family here, I want you to come here to the center with my wife. And this is this is all of our one big happy family right here. If you don't have family here, I just want you to get together. What a powerful word from the Lord that we have heard tonight. Amen. This week, in constructing and building family altars and an art project of sorts, but much more as my wife is so described tonight. But this is more than just building a wooden altar. But this is talking about a commitment to family prayer, personal prayer, and corporate prayer. We've heard the word of the Lord tonight and it has touched our hearts. Right now, I want you to pull your family in real close. I know we're in a 40-day season of consecration. But what we are doing here corporately tonight and what we're doing as a family unit tonight is an incredible example of what needs to happen all over this region. You want to change the culture of our region the children that my wife just wept over and just spoke about tonight that don't have families. We need to show every family, every unchurched family in this community ought to be able to look at any church family that's connected with this church and say, that's how my family ought to look. That's how my family ought to be. It isn't about economics and what kind of shoes your children wear, but it's the way that they worship God and the way that they have a personal relationship and a personal commitment to their altar of prayer. I want you to pull that family in real tight and I want you to declare right now in prayer, as for me and my house, our house is going to be a house of prayer. Our home is going to be a place of prayer. Can you make that commitment together? We're about 27, 28 days left in this time of commitment that we are making this commitment we need to solidify some things in our life tonight and declare it we may not get everything right but we're going to get prayer right that's the first when we get prayer right everything else comes together seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added Come on, pray over your family right now. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, pray over your family right now. Make me a house of prayer.
Come on, don't just sing this song tonight. I want you to make it personal. This is my life. Make me a house of prayer. 